Welcome to Love, Lead, Listen, a podcast from Alpha Gamma Delta. I'm your host, Emily Bice. Join us as we discuss topics that affect women of today and examine the ways that we can be women with purpose. Welcome back to Love, Lead, Listen. Today we have a special episode. So we brought Dr. Erica Rowland back. She is the Assistant Professor of Practice in the Higher Education Leadership Program at the University of Texas, Austin. Erica, welcome back and thank you for being here. Uh, thanks for having me. Glad to be back. In our last episode, we talked about power and privilege and the ways that you can enact those or use those for social change. Um, we talked about them in a lot of different contexts, from LGBTQA communities to a little bit about race. But let's talk a little bit more about how power and privilege interplay into race. Yeah, um, thank you for bringing that up. I think we are seeing a lot of people wanting to have that conversation around particularly racism, right? And so racism is the result of unequal power. And with racism, it is the idea that someone is less than because of their race, because of the color of their skin. Um, and one of the things I want to add with that, other than just racism, racism is anti-Blackness. And so one of the things we have to have a conversation about is back when the United States was formed, that there are people from Europe and um, that came over and also brought slaves. And so the reason for Black slaves is this idea that they were inferior, they were beastly, and it was the duty of these white Europeans, um, now U.S. citizens, Americans, to save them uh, and purify them. So you automatically have a social relationship that says, I am better than you not for any other reason than because of the color of your skin. And, and oftentimes we talk about this from a black-white perspective, but it's really about anti-blackness, right? And then so we are talking about if you are closer to white, you have more privilege. You are good. If you are closer to black, you're not good. So good and bad. And this is how we're talking about it from a moral standard. And so now you're seeing that play out in our society, whether it is policing, whether it's school, whether it is... Uh, judicial system, housing, is this idea that you are less than human. Therefore, I can treat you however I choose. And that and that's okay. Right. Um, so I think that's when we start talking about power, it is really and one of the things I want people to seek in about, it is not so much that someone was racist to you, right? That I said something, someone, a white person said something to me that was, um, you know, was bothering. It is the idea that the system works in this way. And if we look at history, one good example is redlining. Redlining, whether it's the South or the North or the West, is these ideas that Black folks can only live in certain areas. Um, and usually the housing was not that great. Mortgage companies were not giving out mortgages because you're Black and surely you you can't have money. And usually, and now you see that more in our urban areas. So when we're talking about housing, it's this idea that as a Black person at certain points, I cannot go and access a loan or a mortgage, but also where I could live was already determined. And how they upkept that was totally different. So again, we're talking about these systems of being, we're talking about, when we talk about police, I don't think it's it's a matter of police are bad and police are good. I think it's a matter of surveillance, right? This Remember, Black folks in the terminology in the world of the America is bad. So that when we say bad, that means that I need to watch you more so, right? I need to discipline you or surveillance you more so, so that you can understand this is wrong and that I can tell other people 
that, listen, you are a threat and this is how I keep you from being at the bottom. This is how I maintain our relationship of you being less than. So it's a lot more than just black and white, like you said. Right now, it's a lot of different things that are interplaying in our society. And I've seen this going around on the internet, but it's not that the system is broken. It's that the system, the system is working how it was built. It was built in this way. And we're kind of seeing a lot of pushback against that system now, how it's built. Yeah. And I, and I think one of the, as we're having these conversations, again, I think it's exciting that everyone is paying attention to systems, right? Um, especially how we police each other and how we go about that. But remember, policing really started off in the Jim Crow to as black slaves, like there was fear that black slaves were going to be detrimental because we were less than, right? We were animals and beasts. And there's a reason I don't want beastly people or people that are believed to be violent or a threat to just be running around the world. So when we start thinking about that, we have to ask questions about how did we get here and what does that mean? And then ask questions of the systems. I think a lot of allies have been, even other people of color have come up and say, what can I do? And that's a great conversation. But I always say, I pause for a second. I said, first of all, before that's the question, the question needs to be, how are you? Like, how are you doing, right? Like, yeah. Because that's, again, it's this idea that I can save you, right? It goes back to this idea or interpretation that I am less than, that I need to save you. But so having that conversation about how are you, but then getting into like, how can I help? And how can you help is really about having conversations about where funding is going. You know what I mean? Thinking about the systems, thinking about the schools, like we just had COVID, right? And I think COVID really opened up this idea that black and brown communities were highly affected by COVID. And that's, again, this is how we're seeing racism show up and be an affection. Uh, how is it being manifest in our systems? It's not that COVID picked black and brown people like, oh, you are juicy and I want to hang out with you, right? It's not that. It's the idea that we have been, again, because of redlining, putting in certain positions where the healthcare is not good. It's a food desert, or uh, environment and justice. So I think about Flint, Michigan, right? We're having this conversation about wash your hands, but these folks have not had clean water for a long time, right? So again, how are they, and, and this is a predominantly black neighborhood. So again, this is how power is showing up is that I don't have to treat you or give you access to a quality of life. Um, so again, being careful and sitting back and saying, well, what does this look like versus kind of how can I save you, right? Because to be honest with you, I think change is not going to happen in our lifetime. I think change is going to happen over. We're going to have to chip away at this thing. Uh, and I've heard a lot of people write about like, this has been 400 years. This is not something that just occurred last week. This is not something that occurred, you know, when Amy Cooper called the police, right? This is something that started from the very time that we brought the first African slave to the United States, right? But again, that's a, it's totally about, I'm better than you, therefore I can police you any way I want. You said just now that it's not something that's going to change possibly in our lifetimes. It's been 400 years, like you said. But for the people that are now saying, I want to do something, and we see a lot of Alpha Gamma Delta's members specifically mm -hmm. saying, what are we doing? How can I help? What would you say to them? What would you say the first step in that is? So first off, I want to say how proud I am, not, not so much from the organization itself, but I've been watching the online engagement and for sisters of all colors and all places, 
are really holding Alpha Gam to its word. And so to me, that's exciting. That is exactly what you need to do, right? And so we have organizations that have historically been predominantly white, um, have historically excluded folks, especially on race. We also have a lot of companies coming out saying all these great things about Black Lives Matter, which is great. But what you can do is go back to those organizations and those companies and to people that your church, your sisterhood groups and say, exactly, what does this look like in person? Like, what does this look like in action? What are our policies that continue to leave people out? So if we're talking about HR, right? If HR is an issue, but we know that our company only hires 2% Black folks, but what does that mean, right? There's usually there's some inherent biases about what we believe Black people do. Are they lazy? Are they a threat? There's just not enough of them out there, which is not true, right? But that's all the excuses that we make to not engage Black people in some of our fields. So I think for me, is is really asking those deeper questions about what does that look like? What does that mean to organizations that have not historically been open to Black folks, right? That also means do not have only Black people doing the work. So what you can do, and I think we talked about this last episode, is read. Like, read about some things. Read about the history. You have to do a history dive in these issues to fully understand why um, and how we got here, right? So that you can show up and have a conversation, especially with our organization, about, well, it's great that you have the statement, but we have seen multiple accounts where Black women have been denied access to organizations. So how do we really talk about recruitment? Like, what does that really mean? And, and are we willing to, and I think the one thing about these actions that folks have to understand, you're going to have to lose something. That doesn't mean that you lose your soul. That doesn't mean that you, that like, you're not human. It means like, we may have to have a conversation as an organization about, we may have to take a budget cut, right? And I, I know that feels icky <laughs> for some people, but again, that's that compounding, that's that idea of multiple oppressions working together, right? We're talking about racism, but we're also talking about capitalism that allows certain people to enter to our organization and enter out. But if we are really honest about if this is the work that we want to do, understand it's going to come at a cost, right? Understand that it's going to be uncomfortable, but do your research. So seeing things through and learning about the history of things, asking questions and holding folks accountable without needing a black voice or black body to be there to verify you. I think one of the things that's been happening that uh, has been bothering me is that a lot of white folks or I should say white adjacent, meaning they're closer to white uh, or some people would say white passing are posting things on their Facebook. Like I did this, I did that. Um, And I actually posted on my Facebook about performance. Uh, performativity, allies should, right? We're, we're in social media. So I can post Black Lives Matter. I can say I donated to this. I can repost articles. And oftentimes people will say, well, I'll continue to donate to these Black communities. I'll donate. And I'm like, okay, good for you. So I think we need to get off that board of like, I need a pat on my back. I want you to know I'm one of the good ones. And in order for you, if you are white, in order for you to really do this work, you need to get over that. Like I, as a black woman, are not going to pat you on your back because you stood up for what's right, right? I deserve to be treated as human. I deserve to live in my house and not be shot. I deserve to be able to go to school without needing, or my children go to school without uh, being feared that they're going to be disciplined at a higher rate, meaning they have more access to the judicial system, a pipeline to prison, right? And so I deserve to live in a community that I have access to quality health care. 
You know, I should have access to a doctor. One of the things that, again, from a systems perspective, doing some readings is that Black women die at a high rate and given birth. Because the question, the conversation or the stereotype is that Black women can maintain a lot of pain. So if I tell a doctor I am in pain, they're like, oh, you can take it, which may result to I'm dying, right? So that's what I'm, I'm asking folks to really take into account of like, you don't need to post everything. You don't need to tell me you're continuing to do that because honestly, I'm glad you're continuing to do that, but it doesn't stop me from being killed. And so that sounds really deep. And it is deep. It's really real, right? Like I'm fearful from, from, for my own life. I think we talked earlier, I'm a new homeowner, right? And I got a little nervous about at any time if somebody wanted to, people that's supposed to protect me thought there was something going on, they could shoot me. And actually y'all probably wouldn't have a march for me because I'm a black woman. So now we're talking about sexism and racism and all those great things. And mind you, I have a PhD. <laughs> I've been a pretty good person. So like, these are real things that we can't, I can't pat you on your back because you are doing these things. This is what it means to be in community. This is what it means to treat everyone like humans. It's more than a social media post, like you said. And I think you, you mentioned earlier, earlier that tends to be more of performative than anything instead of substantial. Yeah. And it's it's really about I'm the good one. Right. Like I, I stood up to it and I'm like, again, I'm down for that. Great job. But at the end of the day, you also have power. You have influence power. And so that's why we talk about power and, and how it's being used. The idea that you don't have to think about some people don't have to think about their race. They don't have to think about whether if I buy a house in this neighborhood that somebody could kill me in my own house. Right. It, nobody, some people don't have to think about if I get pulled over or if I just appear to be threatening. Right. There's something about I, the way I dress. I can't really walk around in a neighborhood, especially a particular neighborhood, predominantly white neighborhood with a hoodie, because then I will be stereotyped as, hey, she has done something. And so that's a that's like everyday living going out for a jog. That's an everyday living. Right. And so when you don't have to think about those things. You don't get to have me give you a pound of back because you started to think about somebody else's experience. Um, and I think that's the performance piece is like, it's the, it's the cool thing to do. And I like to say it like right now, it's kind of like a pop culture thing, right? If I'm not saying Black Lives Matter, it may indicate that I'm racist or that I am this, right? Or I am that. And that's really not what I want to do. Or I have black friends. I've had that conversation with a lot of white women. Like, but I have black friends. And I was like, me too. I have friends all, like I have a diverse group of friends. But again, this is where we start talking about the individual into a system. We're friends, right? Like, we're great. Like, here's the thing. I am a member of Alpha Gamma Delta. Legit. Like, real life. I pay my dues. You know, I was initiated. I know the ritual. But they also didn't stop for me showing up to a Alpha Gamma event and sisters asking me if I was a sister like for and most of my people in my chapter were all white and I they, they're my sisters but that does not stop somebody from taking feeling like it is their right to take my life so as many black friends as you have and what organization you're part of and that's their mission that's great that's fantastic keep doing you but also understand it's a systems thing and I think we talked earlier, late, uh, the first podcast about it's the everyday thing. It's the fact that someone, I came as a guest speaker at an Alpha Game event and someone literally at registration said, are you a member? And I was, y'all invited me. I didn't, I didn't volunteer. <laughs> right. But that's an indication that 
me as a black person did not belong there. As we continue to have these little moments, right? If you're in schoolhouse, right? This idea that black boys and black girls are disruptive. So when people grow up or become other professions, it's like, surely you're just being disruptive because this is how we've been socialized to think about black bodies as being a threat or not belonging in certain spaces. But here's, and then I always get the opposite about like, what if I, as a white person are in like minority spaces? Isn't that, is there such thing as reverse racism? And like, that's a loaded question. There's no such thing as a reverse racism because there's no power. Meaning that I can dislike you. I can have a a preference about you, but me disliking you is not going to take away your right to education. It's not going to take away your right to quality healthcare, or it's not going to cause over-policing. Whereas power in this system, when we say Black folks are not worth it or not quality, that means they don't, like, we don't experience good healthcare, environmental pieces, right? These students, we're not spending a lot of money at these schools, right? So again, these lives become disposable. So no matter how much I dislike, which I don't, white people, I'm never going to have the power enough to say, Hey, listen, when you see these people, you need to be on high alert because they are a problem. And I think we can have that conversation in real life about how we have conversations around white men who have done mass shootings in the U.S. How do we talk about that? And if you're looking to do some research, I would invite you, uh, maybe not research, maybe you want to dive into what I'm saying. You're like, maybe don't believe it, but like really look at white men who have been, who've done mass shootings. Look at how the media portrays them, how politicians portray them, and then look about how Black people who have been killed, how they are portrayed. Um, And you should see a vast difference about how we treat different people. I've seen something on social media where it's like a side by side of someone that is white committing a crime versus someone that's Black that's committing a crime. And the language is just so different. And that's just part of the system that is wrong. It's just truly wrong, but it's part of that power interplaying into that system is why that happens. And I I always want to touch on this is that because sometimes other folks of color may say, well, we always talk about it's a black and white thing. And again, I want to talk about it's anti-blackness that if black, if we were on a spectrum, right, there's a white on one side and dark on black on the other side. And that these ideas, they play out also in other communities, right? If you are darker in certain cultures, Um, I was just talking to a friend who she identifies as Indian, right? And she talks about how from her culture, the darker they are, the less likely, the lower they think they are, like the class wise. When we talk about class, that's that's a real thing. And I've had experiences, again, I have a third verse group of friends I've had uh, a Cuban friend who said that her mom did not want her to date a black man. And we're like, why? (laughs) Like, we in this together. We're fun. And it's just like, no, because black people are lazy. They're a thug. They do not, they do not work. Again, we're seeing stereotypes being applied to all black people that keeps even people of color from really engaging or, and also just maintaining that order of, at least you're at the bottom right? If you're at the bottom, then I can't be at the bottom. Society has told me that you are obviously the wrong choice. You are unsafe. And that's a lot to carry that even as a child, I saw something on Facebook that said, you know, white parents are not sure how to have the conversation with their kids about race. And then somebody said, you know, I was five or six when I had the first conversation. 
And I thought about that. And, and, and anytime you do a race conversation, people ask you, when's the first time you realize your race? Mine's was like right before I went to kindergarten. My mom had my mom had to have a conversation with me and basically said that white people will think you're dumb. So these are the ways in which you need to act. And if you don't, we're going to have a conversation. So my mom was really direct about it. But again, I knew automatically that there were certain things that I could not do because simply because I was just a black girl. Like I, I, I didn't get a chance to be bad. You know, um, I was already bad before I got there. So really thinking about that and how we're learned, um, how we learn, how we learn about different people and, and how we should trust people. That hurts my heart so much. Cause looking back, I mean, I've never had a conversation like that. That is not part of my experience as a child. Honestly, almost the opposite. When I was in mm-hmm. high school, that's when my family never said this, but I grew up and was in a community where there were some women that were friends with their parents told them, don't bring a black guy home or overtly said things about you bring a black guy home, I'm bringing out the shotgun. And it's almost like a polar opposite, but it's so upsetting that that is part of that's just such a difference. And I mean, it's hard to navigate, especially, and I would say uh, my experience in Alpha Gamma was great, but there were moments of racism that as the only black woman in the chapter, I was like, dang, I don't know how I should say this, right? And it's confusing because I think we often talk about race as just related to cis black men, but also as a black woman, it's like, how do I say to a friend who parents love me? <laughs> like, they're like, you're my kid or sisters love me. I love you. We say the same ritual. It's great. But then they say something like, I can't date a black man or we drive through a black neighborhood and they lock the doors. What am I supposed to say? Like, I'm not sure... And then it's like a big hoo-ha around it. So that's what I'm saying. It's like, it's an everyday thing. And it's sometimes it's unconscionable. Like you're not intentionally meaning to lock the door, but you've gotten messages that being in a black neighborhood means you're unsafe. But also you have a black person sitting in the car with you. So I always never knew how to deal with those messages or what to say and how to say it. I am always, I feel like I'm always in some, in that, in that category. Because I would say I've been, I've had the privilege of being the exception to the rule. So like people will say, Erica, you are not like those other black people. You're not, uh, you're not this, you're educated, all these great things. But the idea that you have to be exceptional in order to be treated human is, or we can only, I think people always have a conversation about we had a black president. Well, that's how, this is how white supremacy works is that I'll let a few people into ranks and decision-making. That doesn't mean that we are changing systems about how we think about uh, how we engage with this, this community, right? Um, so it's really intentional about finding out the systems and how they act and even how we reinforce them uh, going back and forth. When you're saying you're talking about your experience and the locking the doors and all of those things that are happening, that sounds like microaggressions, which a lot of people don't think of. They think of, oh, I'm not saying the N-word or I'm not saying I hate Black people, but they're not thinking of those microaggressions, whether it's asking a woman to straighten her hair during recruitment or all sorts of other things. Microaggressions are one of those things that you might not be thinking of that contribute to that system. Yeah, I started calling them macroaggressions or micro uh, macro assaults. And I think, I, I mean, going back to my other um, comment about showing up to an Alpha Game event as an alumni and asking if I belong, here's the thing. Ever since I joined this organization, I've always gotten conversations from people about, do I belong? What does that mean? How you do it? And here's the thing. I have worked just as hard as anybody else in my organization. I even became pen like president. 
So when you talk about microaggressions, this is ideas that you keep, I keep stomping my toe, not me. Somebody keeps stepping on my toe and being like, oh, I'm sorry, you're fine. But what they didn't realize is that somebody just stepped on my toe again. So you keep stepping on the same toe. And I get that you're apologizing. But the idea is the message to me, even in that moment was, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy, but I'm not supposed to be here. You know what I mean? And when it's like, right. And and that's, again, that's the othering or the dehumanization piece. It's the idea that when we talk about this, even in my black friends and especially black women, it's like, People like, can I touch your hair? No, you can't touch my hair. What things? Like, I get it. Right. I'm fascinating. Like, I get it. And I'm beautiful. I get it. I I totally get it. Black is beautiful. I get it. But like, I don't go around petting you. Why do you think you should pet me? Like, (laughs) like, it's ridiculous. But you just be surprised how many people like, oh, you had braids this day. Then you had a weave that day. And it's just like, can you just mind your business? Stay in your zone. Just say it looks nice. Stay in your lane. Say it looks nice. Move on. (laughs) And the fact that like, here's what I mean by othering and dehumanization. I've had people, white people, touch my hair without my permission. So when I talk about this dehumanization and permission is that this idea, because I am less than, because I am just the black girl and you are powered, the fact that you have access to my body, even without my permission. So I, I always tag that to it's compounded because I'm also a woman. It's this idea that as women, we talk about like sexual assault and all those great things. This idea that men and any person believes that they have access to your body, regardless of your consent, right? It's the same thing with Black people, but even more heightened as a Black woman is this idea, no matter where I am, People believe they have access to my body and to police my body without my permission. That's a little scary. That's a little, that's the, you know, that's, that's, that's not cool. No, it's not. So Alpha Gam is, I think it's 79% white organization. So a lot of folks that are listening to this are probably not of color, but a lot of them want to do something and they want to help. Part of me, though, is seeing not even just in Alpha Gam, but in the general world, a lot of white people are wanting to do and to help, but they're almost falling into white saviorism. Yeah. And I, again, to connect this to what we were just talking about, dehumanization, is this, this idea that in order for me to be humanized, I need to be validated and legitimized by you, uh, by a white person. And really, it is when when people say, what can I do? Instead of posting on my Facebook about all the things you do, I need you to go to your organizations and, and community and your people and really have a conversation about why, uh, not just why this has happened, but what can you do? How can we change our HR, HR policy? And I think I appreciate that Alpha Gam put out this um, list of things that they're looking into. I appreciate some of the comments that said, you know what, this is great that y'all wrote that, but I want to see how y'all really going to do this. What's the action plan? Keep doing that. To me, that is so much better than you posting on my Facebook about how you donate to a Black community. And and then before then, educate yourself. Why was Alpha Gamma a predominantly white institute uh, organization? Why are we having this conversation about police? Uh, why are we having this conversation about school? Why are we having this conversation about Corona being likely to uh, Black and brown folks to die? And to me, that that's about reading a book 
there's plenty of people that have written about it. And I highly suggest that you you read books that are written by black people. And I know there's some some books out there, I think White Fragility, I believe uh, Robin Diego, I want I think that's the name. I think I don't think that's right. But she write about white fragility. It's a it's a good book. But also know that it's a recent book. Black people has been have been writing about this for a very long time. Right. So, again, when we talk about savior and what can I do, it's also listening to black voices and listening to black stories and trying to really understand without taking. Right. And I know that's hard because you're like, well, white fragility is a popular book. And I'm like, great. But have you read some bell hooks, some Audrey Lord? Like, I get it. But we've been saying this for a very long time. But also, if that's the way you need to receive the message, then. I'm, I think that's cool, but go and read the book, have a conversation with a couple people, but don't leave it at just the conversation, like hold people accountable to having this conversation. I think one of the things too, is that when we start thinking about action, it's okay for you to, I think there's a balance of, it's okay for me as a black woman, uh, for you to ask me advice, right? How, how do you think we should do this? What does that mean? That does not mean tokenize me and I'm the only voice that shows up on the diversity and equity committee. If I'm the, I think it's problematic that you have, and I, I'm thinking more of Alpha Gamma as we move forward, that you have white women making all decisions about women of color and black women without having a conversation about it or out having people on the committee to have that conversation. But even if a black person or black people are on, or people of color on this committee, that does not mean tokenize those sisters to say, you have to do this work, right? And that's really what I am feeling right now is that I've had friends, strangers that have come to me and asked me to educate them about what's going on now. And as much as I, I think that's cool, as much as I want to, it's also damning because I am trying to maintain my mental health right now. Like fear, fear is a real thing for me, right? Fear of that if I show up to a protest that I will be labeled as a thug. I'm not really thuggish, but so I don't really know how I would do that. But um, <laughs> but or this idea that if I get stopped or this idea that people are just pissed at black people because they feel like you're doing the most. You're like ruining our community. So a civilian just feels like, hey, you're a good target today. And so like really checking in with people. And I've checked in with other friends that saying, you know, my anxiety is up. Like my anxiety, because every day I have to watch, I have to see articles on Facebook, people posting about Black Lives Matter uh, or having discussion about that when the idea is like, listen, I'm just trying to live like you, right? So we're having this conversation. I am pleading for my humanity in my life and it's up for debate. That is stressful. That doesn't, that's fearful. It is, it is, it's a whole lot of things that, Again, we started to talk about how oppressions and systems then become internalizing your own body and lifespan begins, the health starts to go down, right? And so just understand that this moment is not for for me and, and for most Black folks, this is not a moment in time because we want something that we didn't, we like, it's not like I want a haircut and get out of quarantine. <laughs> it's really about Yo, I want to live. I want to be able to go for a run. I want to be able to walk down the street with a hoodie and some Skittles and some tea. I want to be able to sleep in my house. I want to be able to, and we've had a lot of conversation about transgender, Black transgender folks, right? Is that I want to be able to be myself without being killed. And also too, if your Black Lives Matter is only about Black men, that's also problematic. And again, I think last episode we talked about how there's different types of oppression. 
Well, some folks have multiple oppressions that compound it, right? And so when I talked about Black trans folks, we have the idea of racism, but then you have some type of sexism. So whether they're trans men or trans women, right? Then we have gender expression. Then we start talking about sexual orientation. Although some of these things are false, because you don't really know some of these things, right? It's the idea that you have all these markers, therefore you are even less for me, your, your, your life matters less more. So this is why you're not hearing a lot of conversations or seeing a lot of protests about black women um, mm-hmm. or about black trans folks, right? Because we really don't want to talk about the homophobia in black communities. And so again, that's also work that black folks have to do when we start talking about other oppressions, right? So it's not, it's not just a white person problem. It's all of our problems. But when we come to our privilege is that when we talk about racism, white folks, this is on you. This is, this is your battle to fight. I'm a, I'm a sit on the sideline and cheer you on, but please don't come and ask me for a pound on your back. And so when I started talking about black lives matter for trans, uh, for trans folks, that is on me because as a cisgender person, it is my job as the person in privilege to stand up and say, hold on, what systems and what thinking have we continued to think that these folks are less than? How do we have those conversations? It sounds like you're always empowered for someone else and you have to look at how you're using that for someone else, but also not taking from someone else. Like you said, you've had a lot of people approach you to ask for education and ask for things that we said a lot in our last podcast, but Google it. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I mean, read some things. And here's the thing. I know that there's always a counter story to everything. Read those too. And my message to everybody more than anything is, yes, let's have these dialogues. Let's talk about it. But at the end of the day, all I'm asking is that I should have free right to live my life without fearing that I'm going to be killed because of the color of my skin. I mean, we live in a dangerous world now where, you know, things are happening. But pile that on top of I'm a black woman, that is extra like, and I can't even be safe in my own home. Right. So think about it in that sense of what that is. But also, I think a lot of people I've had conversation with are taking it personal. You know, I have people saying, well, did I ever do anything racist to you? (laughs) Did I ever mistreat you? And I'm like, you know, technically, yeah, but like, I'm not going to go into that. But like, people want to make this a personal thing. And yes, it's a personal thing, but yet it's a systems thing, right? It's the same systems that you pay into every day. It's the same school system, especially gentrification. Gentrification usually happens in black and brown communities that do away with black businesses, black schools, all those kind of things. And gentrification sometimes is a good thing, right? Is to bring in revenue. But again, that comes at a cost. So having those conversations as, you know, the coffee shop pops up in a low housing place that costs $6 for a latte, who's going to be able to afford that? Yeah. <laughs> right? And that, that's not just a black people thing. That's a that's a class thing, too. So, again, these things are complicated. They're meant to be complicated. If they were easy, then maybe we would have made more headway and change before. But again, these conversations aren't new. If you, again, go back and do your reading, this is what they were fighting for for civil rights. The same very thing. This is what folks have been fighting for in Black Panther. This is what they were fighting for in Black and slave abolishment. And also, I think there is a false information, and I, I've seen this a lot too, also in Alpha Gam responses, is that it's a South problem. It's only the South that has this problem. Well, Amy Cuba was in New York. <laughs> so every part of the U.S. has a problem. Slavery, yes, happened mostly in the South. 
but the North also benefited from these places. So we talk about the Black migration, and you saw a lot of redlining in the North, redlining. So again, again, it's we're narrowing the narrative about, oh, this is just a South thing. This is only an issue with our South chapters. A, that's unfair to them, because that's yeah. just saying something about Southern folks. Could be wrong, mm-hmm. right? Whatever, doesn't matter. We're not all bad. Right? Uh, <laughs> and then, but also too, like, it's this idea that people from the north and from the west and from the mid can just overplay this when in reality is no matter where I am whether I'm in California or Missouri or in Florida or Texas I'm still a black woman and you still believe that I'm less than um so I think one of those things when we start talking about change is decolonizing your mind we've talked again it's not just the south it's everywhere that we've had this conversation to wrap it up how can women white women help and support their friends or their sisters or people of color in this time is there what would you recommend for them to do that so i think this is always a hard question because i also can't talk from a white woman's perspective right and what i may prefer may not be the same thing folks other people prefer i am more the person like show you can show me better than you can tell me so i'd rather see your actions and again i i'm not here to hold your hand that's not it. Right. So I would say, you know, ask that question, be genuine about how are you and have that conversation. I've had people text me about how are you? And I'll text back like, I'm okay. Like, uh, how are you and your family? And then never get a response. So to me, the the reality is that you are not really asking me how I am. You're performing because you think it's appropriate. It's the right thing to do. In reality, what I'm asking for is a human connection. So call me. Don't Facebook message me. Don't send me a text message. Like if you genuinely want to care about like who I am and what I'm doing, have a conversation versus again, I cannot name the many times that I've had people just say, you know, I'm thinking about you. I hope you're well. How are you doing? And I say something and I never hear back. So again, have those conversations. I think the first step is asking uh, people that you know, how are you doing? Like really, how are you doing? And let them tell you how they can be supported. For me, I, I just don't have the time to entertain that. And, and mm-hmm. partly because I'm trying to maintain my own health. And also, I'm not in a place to educate and explain, right? And also, I have work to do in my own community about taking care of my community, taking care of my family, and supporting them and not being so scared that something's going to happen to them. So again, be genuine when you say, you know, how are you doing? And then other, I think... Again, I've been most proud to be an Alpha Gam, not because of the statements that's been posted or the blackout. It's because we have stu- we have what I perceive as white women saying, you know what, that's great, but what's the action? Keep doing that. To me, that supports me more than anything because that means that I don't have to go in and say that. That's one less labor piece that I have to go and say, let me email IHQ and say, listen, I'm glad y'all had this blackout, but... What about all these other things, right? It's great that I have sisters that say, wait, time out, that ain't good enough, right? Show me the money because at the end of the day, that's less work that I have to do. That's less of a burden for me to do. So keep doing that. Check in with people genuinely. If you don't have that in you, that's okay to say nothing. It's okay to be silent. Make sure you're doing it for the right reasons, right? Yeah. I mean, and then also like before we end, I want us to get away from this right and wrong, right? I think we're all trying to figure out and and then people, I think that's what people are getting hung up on. Am I, I'm not a bad person. It's not me. 
in reality, it's not about bad or being good or bad. It's really about, I want to humanize somebody. I, I want to make sure people are treated as humans or treated the way I want to be treated in the world. And so anything you can do, the small things, the reading or talking to your kids or talking to your coworkers, or maybe you're not a person that's like, I'm going to protest. That's not my thing either, but I will surely show up to a school board meeting and be like, listen, where's these mo- like, where's the money going to? How are you district? So do your part. Everybody has a lane. Everybody has work to do. It does not have to look like what is currently happening right now. So protest or posting something on Facebook or posting something on Instagram. You could really just be talking to your partner about, yo, we got to do better or talking at your church or all those great things or giving money or feeding people or cleaning up. Right. Everything doesn't need to be a public affair. Let's think about what are you going to do when the protests are gone and social media posts have stopped? What are you going to do then? How are you going to go and make those changes in the systems or in the community where you're placed? Yeah. And to me, that's like, that's what I'm saying. You need to ask people in your, in your life. And that's my main question is when this is no longer in the uh, media, here's the thing. We're not talking about the jogger from Georgia anymore. We're not talking about Breonna Taylor anymore. We've rarely talked about her. And these were less than three weeks ago. So the George Floyd will die down. That's like the Trayvon Martin or some transgender folks, some other black women, right? Sarah Bland, like, right? These things will go away. We are a society of quick um, attention spans, right? There'll be something new. There'll be a new TikTok move that we'll be talking about. And again, there's nothing wrong with that, but how do you maintain? That's how change happens when no one is just, like looking at you or that's the main conversation is how you continue to do that work. And again, please do not tell me that you're continuing to do the work. Just do it. All right. So to wrap up, I want to leave our viewers with some resources. So if you are on Alphagam social media, you saw that on June 3rd, we did post a, a statement as, lo- as well as a website with different resources. You can find that at www.alphagamadelta.org slash our commitment to see those. It has a bunch of resources there. You can also listen to Erica's last podcast. You can listen to this podcast. Hopefully you've made it all the way through. Thank you so much for tuning in to this special episode of Love Lead Listen. Erica, thank you for being here and taking the time to educate educate us, our members. And if you're listening right now, go read, go do research, go see what you can do to help this continue so we can change these systems and hold your systems and your leaders accountable. That's all for today. Love, Lead, Listen is recorded and produced at Alpha Gamma Delta International Headquarters and is generously funded by the Alpha Gamma Delta Foundation. Episodes are released every two weeks, so make sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts so you don't miss out on any of our episodes. If you like this show, make sure to rate us five stars on iTunes, and don't forget to share it with your friends. If you have an idea for a future episode or any other feedback, send us an email at podcast at alphagammadelta.org. I'm your host, Emily Bice, and that's all for today. See you next time.